0: This year, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. Pair your impressive skills with our advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop, powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping Await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com/deals. That's Alienware.com/deals. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Rob Sheffield and Brittany Spanos, and we are going to talk inevitably about folklore. My favorite tweet about folklore which is, of course, the new Taylor Swift album that materialized from the ether just now. Someone asked, as we all stayed up at midnight listening to the album, someone asked, is this album
1: The Vaccine? Rob, you said it's her best album. Absolutely. It's absolutely the one that so many of us have thought that she would make or could make. Uh, Definitely a decisive step into her 30s. Definitely like a thematic and musical statement. Absolutely perfect songs. No duds at all. I think this is the first album without a single skip. Yeah. Even Red has, you know, Snow Patrol duet. <laughs> which I always forget is there because it's not on my playlist of it. But but it's amazing that this is such a perfectly conceived, perfectly realized album.
0: Brittany, is it Taylor Swift's best album? Are you prepared to as well to say that?
2: Yeah, I think I am. Like I think that like Rob said, there's no skips. It feels like such a Kind of in the same way like that we talked about with Fiona Apple's vegetable cutters. like it feels like such a product of all the albums leading up to this. and feels like such a like a clear evolution of her as a songwriter, as an artist, a lot of things that she's been trying to prove for so long and trying to get people to understand about her as a songwriter that, you know, just like her incredible storytelling abilities that kind of always got muddled by like everything around it and all the drama and like, you know, <laughs> the, the celebrity of her. And I think just being to like hear her go for it and tell these stories that are about these characters that she's imagining in her head. And it, I mean, it's just so, it's so well done. And she kind of, she shed a lot of the celebrity of Taylor Swift, the personality to kind of like go even deeper than ever before.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, just quickly on the thing of celebrity, as Rob pointed out, There are a couple of glancing, amusing references to her fame, but they're framed in a different kind of way. Sometimes it's almost like it's another person. uh, Bad was the blood of the song that you were listening to. The same song, Bald was the waitress who said, you look like an American singer. It's like lurking in the background, but it's no longer the narrative at all. There's a number of steps forward on this album. Maybe break down the various ways in which she has progressed or even leapfrogged.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think like there's a little bit of of each album in this. So, you know, you have the kind of return to the country twang that people always kind of joke about is the loss of that country twang. But you kind of hear a little bit of that fearless and self-titled era Taylor on a song like Betty, you hear, um, I mean, Speak Now being the first album where it was solely written by her all the way through and kind of that return to that here and thinking about red and that pivot to arena rock and testing out a little bit of the indie sound that we hear more well thought through here and kind of as a sort of concept all throughout the entire album all the kind of lyrical references in 1989 and reputation that kind of that kind of mood that she sets along on a lot of the songs that aren't necessarily the big pop singles the big you know kind of bombastic arena pop sound. Um, when you kind of go to the deep cuts on those albums, you kind of hear that in a lot of Erin Dessner's production. And of course, Lover, we kind of saw her do a little bit of a mix and kind of a precursor to what we're hearing in folklore with a song like this title track of Lover, but it seems like there's a little bit of each that she's kind of peppered throughout everything up until now.
1: That's so true. It really, it sums up the best of what she's done before. And with none of her shtick. and you know me, I love her shtick. But she's self-consciously avoiding a lot of the things that people associate with her. As Brittany said, she's not doing the bombastic arena rockers. Clearly, she knew this was a record she was not going to be playing live. And she said, you know, why do I want to do a song that'll make the stadium, you know, rock and like pump their hands in the air and sing along? These songs are not going to exist in that environment. And so, you know, a lot of the things that we usually associate with one of her records, there isn't a single Southern accent. Brittany mentioned there isn't there isn't a single English accent either she's become fond of those uh, there isn't a single <laughs> song set at 2 a.m which is definitely mm-hmm. a first for her and most shocking of all first album ever where she doesn't laugh at one of her own jokes yeah. once not even once which is you know on Lover it was like Half the songs, a lot of the things that we love and that we look for in her records is, as continuities—they're, they're, you know, they're fan service in a bit. She's self-consciously stepping away from those.
0: Obviously, uh, last, great last Great American Dynasty is linked to the song Starlight from Red in that that one was about the Kennedys.
1: This one is is
0: sort of about the same milieu, but with a with a much more jaundiced and distant and acerbic eye. That song is is a real accomplishment. And it's also just, again, kind of showing her hand as a grown-up with a really sophisticated take on things, able to embody the judgment of the society when she said, you know, new money only goes so far. Just there's a real casual sophistication there and – Tremendous mastery of compressed storytelling. And then, of course, as someone said, I mean, like, who else would write such a great song about the mansion that they own? Who else is like,
1: oh, I'm getting noise complaints from the neighbors? Well, let me do a little research. The person who owned this house in 1957, you said the same thing. Great example of her ever awe inspiring refusal to let anything, anything go. Does not let anything go, does not get over anything, plans these. Like fantastic details, like you know, planting the word "marvelous" in that song—that's mm-hmm. that a certain element of hardcore fan, including you know us, uh, is going to pick up on. But something that she knows is going to go over the head of most people listening to the song. Just brilliant that way. Love that song.
2: She packed so much history into that yeah. song. Like learned so. Like I was like, learned so much within that song, and I wanted to learn more about Rebecca Harkness. And then I was like, oh, she just put it. She put it all literally. In this entire song, like it's all here. I mean, it's so it's so much fun, and her breaking the kind of like I guess like fourth wall of like. And then I bought it. <laughs> and then I bought this house. <laughs> it's just so fun. I feel like her sense of humor has definitely gotten even sharper with how she kind of is able to marry that part of like this thing that was I was talked about, and like people were kind of like blaming me for this thing, and this was happening, but like being able to kind of like insert her into the actual like full history of of this place is pretty, it's just like so fun and so well done.
0: I wanted to return to the idea that Rob brought up, which is that this is so clearly an album by a huge artist who's aware that she is free for the moment of the restrictions that come with how do I tour this album? Because I think people underestimate the degree to which huge touring artists who are also very active and successful recording artists tend to have to Take that a bit into consideration. I was in the studio with U2 years ago. There was this very interesting battle between Brian Eno in the basement and U2 upstairs, literally in the studio, where Brian Eno was trying to get them to make a very meditative, beautiful, emotional album that wouldn't have worked at all on the stage. It would have been U2's folklore had it ever come out. Whereas the guys upstairs were being like, "That's great, Brian Eno, but we we literally have to play stadiums and we can't meditate with the crowd for an hour." This is an interesting intersection of sort of like the historical moment allowing someone like like Taylor to to be liberated from that, and it and it's the freedom of that. Of both that and then I guess a lot of other things like she just again didn't have to overthink when to release this, didn't have to think as much about singles. I I think you can really feel the artistic freedom all over this album, right?
2: Yeah, I feel like, you know, what's funny about it is, especially the more I listen to the album, as much as it feels like such a departure from that, like, arena pop stadium mindset. She's just such a great pop writer, that there's so much catchiness in every like literally like listening to my tears ricochet like all i want to do is scream that bridge in like a giant stadium like you know like it's like that's like stuff like that is it's weird how it like pops up across the entire album that kind of catchiness and that like popness of her you know writing brain that kind of is impossible for her to totally let go of when she's writing even if it's not necessarily the main goal of it it's still there which is so fascinating but yeah it's like i feel like it's she could in theory pop in these songs into like a lover's type of like stadium setting, which is just, I, you know, most artists when they kind of strip away, this wouldn't be able to, like, it would feel like such an outlier amongst those.
1: Totally. Yeah, it, absolutely. Every time she makes an album, it's so funny. Like I always think, wow, I hope she does what she did last time. And that literally <laughs> never happens. Why do I never learn? But that sense of, of her being able to do these songs that feel so intimate and private, and yet so loud and and so so intense, just a, a really amazing balancing act that she's got in her songwriting that that hardly anyone in history can match. Thinking in terms of historical parallels, I keep thinking of Darkness on the Edge of Town, where mm-hmm. you know the quarantine. You're, you're, is, yeah, it must be said. You're always thinking about Darkness on the Edge of Town. I, I, I am must say, I always say <laughs> always thinking about that album. Always, but. <laughs> But really, but also the the step away from, you know, like, rah-rah arena sing-along type stuff, not that Born to Run is dominated by that in any sense. But in many ways, the quarantine for her is is her equivalent of Bruce driving across the country and writing those songs. There's a certain amount of, you know, the artist as adult, as isolated, isolated from fame, isolated from their own day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of breakthrough that she's made here with these sort of third-person character studies that she's always had a flair for, but doing a whole album of it of them is just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I
0: think we need to go through and see how we can compare it to each song in the Springsteen catalog and then go to the Johnny <laughs> then go to the then go to the Joni Mitchell catalog and maybe maybe Stevie Wonder. Maybe let's just keep
1: going. But um Meet Me Behind I, the Mall. Oh my yeah. God. Maybe, yes. There isn't a dynamo in that town. So it's like <laughs> uh, that's, that's, No tasty freeze in this town, yeah. you know? No, yes, no exactly, yeah. sign. You know? It's Meet yeah. Me Behind the Mall. <laughs> But to Britney's point about the pop
0: that could not be suppressed in, in, her, in her songwriting, it is just extraordinary that on top of everything, on top of the obvious excellence of this album, that it is almost despite itself an absolute commercial smash is something I'm still kind of wrapping my head around. Why it did better on streaming than Lover, I have some
2: theories. I mean, I think that that was something that, people had sort of been thinking of in terms of like the state of the surprise album right like Beyonce kind of setting the tone with self-titled and like a lot of artists attempting to do that after and sometimes it worked most of the time it didn't there's a certain level of artists who can give no promo at all she gave us like just less than 24 hours to prepare but even that like there aren't many people who can do that and I think that combined with how surprising the sound was and how different it was. I think, you know, for everyone, the Lover era was a bit taxing. There was a lot happening for many months. There was a lot of Easter eggs that we had to dig through. Um, And there's just a lot of things that, you know, it was a a very involved promo cycle, even for someone as big as Taylor is, and didn't necessarily even need Mm -hmm. that much promo for it. But, like, I think kind of coming off of that, where it was so big and so colorful and so much, and then to kind of see her return with this, like, very like black and white kind of minimal aesthetic for for Taylor. I mean still, you know, a little extra, but it's it's Taylor. But, you know, I think kind of coming off of that, I think people were curious about what it would even sound like. Like there was no preview, there was no idea of what it could be. There was just like Here are some black and white photos. I worked with The National. Here you go.
0: (laughs) I do wonder whether part of it was just a, a simple practical thing, which is that the moment it was released, it was impossible to listen to it by any other means other than streaming. I mean, we know factually that there were tons of people actually buying the music and perhaps they were listening to it on their own personally owned versions of it. And that wasn't registering in streaming numbers. And thus it helped perpetuate a narrative that someone like Taylor wasn't actually as listened to as, as artists who dominate streaming even more. And I think possibly that on a broader level, that narrative has been shattered. It turns out if you strip away the other means to listen to it, at least right away, like, wow, actually <laughs> surprised Taylor Swift is popular. Were we were really doubting that. Was that really a question? I would imagine it's tremendously gratifying, for her to release something that is in its way sort of blatantly on commercial and have it become so spectacularly commercial. It's just. And such uh, like a
2: shift because she's been such a traditionalist and, and so many senses of how she perceives her career and how she promotes music and how, again, being an artist who, like you said, has always done really big numbers with physical sales and, at a time even when it was almost impossible for a lot of artists. I mean, I think of, was it 1989 that wasn't on streaming for the first week around the same time that Adele was doing the same thing? like
0: God, this this is such the opposite. But yeah, sorry. Right.
1: Same thing.
2: Yeah, like that was just a few years ago. And um, she was very resistant to streaming for a very long time. And it was even surprising, like, to the point where it was surprising that Lover was kind of you know, available on streaming the first night. So for her to completely pivot and be like, you know what? Like, I'm just like, not only am I going to forego this, whole rollout that this traditional rollout that she's always done even when she even when it was a little bit less traditional with something like reputation where she wasn't doing interviews like she usually does or doing other things but it was still kind of like here are the singles here's the visuals like you have months to prepare yeah i mean it's it's a huge huge shift for her to just be like streaming first your physical copy of the album will be here in six weeks (laughs) and this is how you're getting the album no preparation besides the track list and here's a list of collaborators
0: i could feel lover opening the doors for the rest of her career it was a real grown-up album it had the concerns of someone who was and the perspective of someone who was almost 30 when I spoke to her and I don't think any of this made the article but when I I spoke to her for lover she had a lot of banter about not being a kid anymore about about feeling you know obviously 30 is super young it's young for the earth it's it's not super young and in pop and it she was very aware of being an adult and that it, joking about how everyone's younger than her, like the photographer for the album is younger than her and just this thing of feeling like a grown up and and I think this is even more this just crosses the the threshold even more to you know, it's just like constantly cursing the first line of the album, Hey, if your preteen likes Taylor this, maybe they don't need to hear the part about the hands under the sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> but you do there is that
1: that grown upness, obviously, right? Lover was definitely a self conscious turning 30 album there's a long great tradition of self-conscious turning 30 albums whether it's Joni Mitchell's Hegira or David Bowie's Low it's something artists do when they're as self-conscious and as classicist as she is so somebody who thinks about their music as part of history and and the great ones they turn and go somewhere new but they try to sum up where they've been and Lover was definitely an album that summed up everywhere she'd been every kind of style she'd ever tried was on Mm. that album somewhere and this is an album where she's just heading out into the wilderness. And Brittany, you you've grown up with her. I'm I'm curious what that's like.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it, there are so many lines where she's kind of like she's looking back on her youth in so many ways not only through the characters that she's yes. writing like she's has so many of these teen characters and it almost feels like this like side B to the first few albums of like her own teen character. Yes. She's like here's like, you know, there's so much fantasy and so much, you know, fairy tale ness to the way that she wrote about teenage love when she was a teenager. And for her to kind of look back and be like, you know, let me write this involved love triangle between three teens. That's just going completely sour and is terrible. Like I think that's such a, that's such a perfect example of growth is like being able to kind of like reflect on that in a way that's not with bitterness, but with kind of this intent to, add more depth to that idea and add more perspective to that idea and kind of take her own lessons from growing up, you know, 15 years from 15 and kind of looking back on that. But I think of like the song, This Is Me Trying, which has become my favorite. I mean, there's a new favorite every day, but that one's definitely come up a lot more for me in the past couple of days. And I feel like that there are so many pointed lines on that and the line, um, I was so ahead of the curve, the curve became a spear, like stuff like that, where she's kind <laughs> oh God, of yeah. looking on this sort of, she's able to reflect on a lot of what she's laid out for herself and her own kind of position in that in a way that's a little less biting than I think she would have done on Reputation or Lover. I think she's able to kind of like look at it now and and sort of just like take a step back and be a little more introspective about her relationship with everything.
0: And before we start going a little bit more song by song, we've somehow managed to not really address uh, the national in the room, which is just the idea that the Aaron Desner collaboration in the way in which he brought in other members of the national, the rap on the national that, that they're, that they're sleepy and for dads and etc. And it's just really funny that Rob just made a, uh, an appalled face and Brittany can confirm that is a widely, uh, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yes, I did believe the national were for for dads until I listened to their last album and I
0: enjoyed it. Dads, I would dare to suggest are people too. (laughs) (laughs) There was good music for dads and bad music for dads. It is so funny that she uh, disrupted that narrative and it's almost like music can't be put into those kind of niches and uh, the the certain opinions are wildly wrong. And maybe if you guys can just talk about what the fruits of that collaboration and what surprised you about it and what didn't surprise you and what worked and etc.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's clear that Aaron had brought out a lot of kind of this, you know, the way that she spoke about hearing all of the music that he had been working on and like had sent her and she was writing to it and kind of like being able to pair that together. I think it just kind of brought something production wise out of her that was super, I don't know, it was just like very dreamy, like all across it, like everything was just so dreamy and um just like went beyond anything vocally that we had heard from her before.
1: Yeah, such a natural, perfect pairing. I mean, their careers have largely overlapped. I don't really see them as necessarily even being from different worlds, really. You know, High Violet came out the same year as Speak Now. Those were two of my favorite albums of 2010. Both albums that were real breakthroughs in terms of both emotional reach and musical grandeur. And two albums that are both like very adventurous sonically and structurally and creatively, but very like emotionally powerful. And if you've been in an arena full of people singing along with songs by The National, and if you've gone to see The National, that's what you do, and feeling every word and yelling every word and everybody like sort of united emotionally, it's very much like one of her shows. So I I think it's kind of a dream pairing and, and I think it's remarkably, remarkably natural sounding
0: again, it just shows there's so many lines that people imagine are there that aren't there at all, and also that musicians are better at hearing music than other people a lot of times, you know, because they don't hear these imaginary things that we place into them.
1: On those old boundaries. I mean, it's funny. I, sorry I made a face when you were talking, when, when you said the word dad, which, like, is... No, like, I, I mean, I, I, mean I, was, I wasn't presenting my opinion, obviously. <laughs> but, but it's well that, you know, that dismissing music as for dads is very much like dismissing music as being for young women and that like that Taylor Swift and The National both extremely ambitious extremely creative artists who don't respect boundaries like that and and have no use for boundaries like that so it's kind of a perfect pairing Bonnie Vere as well like what it that was a really amazing pairing mm-hmm.
0: a very different sounding uh, register for him and 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 it just uh, you know is this Taylor's best duet uh, you know in the history of of, of the Taylor duets? <laughs>
1: for Abigail forever ago. Uh, it's it's way up there. It's it's weird because it even for him, his voice sounds really different than usual. Yeah. Exactly. The first time I heard it, I thought, this can't be right. This sounds exactly like David Berman in the Silver Jews. And that was mm-hmm. like a really strange sort of disconnect. It's even different from like how I thought Justin Vernon's voice would sound in this duet. But winds up being like really, really perfect duet.
0: There were a ton of tweets all at once being like, "Is Taylor breaking up? Like, is this a breakup album?" Which, which is a total, total red herring. Do you do you think that she deliberately kind of planted that red herring as part of the the just part of her artistic thinking, or is that just a a, a, a an amusing bonus?
2: I think that she. I mean, because her music has been so primarily diaristic, and from her perspective, to lead with a song like the one which is this song that's kind of like mournful of the one that got away after releasing a full album about how she's never been this in love before (laughs) is like such a perfect, I mean, she's always had really great opening songs that feel like kind of a, a little bit of a nice transition from the last album into the next album. And I think this one in that sort of vein is kind of like a, a little nod to that. And kind of this idea that like, you know, so much coming off of such a great love album to lead with such a mournful breakup song. But again, like just it being an album that's mostly from other perspectives from other characters. It's about this kind of like, you know, from her imagination running wild in in isolation. I thought that was kind of like a cheeky nod to kind of the not wanting to to tick in just yet to like these characters that she had built.
0: Yeah, I kind of think it was a deliberate mindfuck in the sense that it was, an, it was announcing, although she did make it clear in the statement, which she probably didn't have to do, that this is the full break from the autobiographical narrative. She started that break probably with Red, but it, it feels like part of this is the announcement, I no longer have to follow that narrative strand in my own life at all this is for now on the story it's a kaleidoscope it's a mirror ball and it's all it's going to go in in all different directions some things might be autobiographical but other things might have might be the literal opposite of what's happening in my life does it feel like a declaration of freedom in in that sense
2: yeah definitely and i i think it kind of i like sent this to rob i think the day that the album came out but like it felt like miss americana the documentary that came out earlier this year also felt like the beginning of that break because it I felt like she was purging so many of those demons that she had had as an artist, as a woman in the music industry, as like, you know, a person with very public struggles with private struggles with things that, you know, have come out mostly in her music that have been assumed about her music have been assumed about her. Like it felt like such a really beautiful purging of a lot of that, that kind of br- seemed like a, a, the, a good break. And I, I felt like that felt like a beginning of, a new type of tailor and like a new type of freedom that she could feel after that, and so to hear this album kind of be the product of that and kind of come from that, like letting go of her past and letting go of her the, the things that were kind of sometimes hindering her mentally and you know emotionally while she was traversing through her career. But yeah, it feels like it's a, a nice pairing with with a documentary in that sense.
0: Well, the song Cardigan, for me, the transition between the end of the verse when and when you're young, they, they assume you know nothing, and then into the chorus is just perfect example of utter Taylor Swiftness. The emotional and musical
1: lift there is er Taylor Swift. Absolutely. And also on red, it was a lost, you know, a lost scarf <laughs> that she left behind. This just, on her last album, it was a lost glove. This time it's a lost sweater. You know, like her entire wardrobe full of lost <laughs> items of clothing that she's planted, you know, like hostages, you know, in <laughs> X's apartments. Just kind of a glorious sort of the continuity with their past work is there, but it's a, a completely forward looking song. And yeah. also just the sheer knowledge that like that Britney was saying that, you know, she posted on social media on April twenty-seven. Not a lot going on at the moment. Like the exact day that she sent this song to Aaron, just <laughs> evidence that she's always lying, and we should never believe anything she says. She, she looked the world in the eye and lied to us and said, "Not going. Not a lot going on at the moment." The day she wrote this song, texted
2: the full <laughs> lyrics. <Yes. laughs> yes. <her> hours later.
1: <laughs> yes, unbelievable. <laughs> knowing that this is something that people would only notice months later. That they
2: yeah, go back in find. She can't just, let go of the Easter eggs. Unbelievable
1: the way her <laughs> mind works. Amazing, <laughs> my tears ricochet. Oh, gosh.
2: A song. If I'm dead to you, then why are you at the wake? I mean, that's that's a bar. That that's is the fun. ultimate bar. That is so good. I mean, that song like of all the songs on the album. I mean, first off, I think it's absolutely my favorite song from the album because Mm. I feel like I have to listen to it at minimum 15 times in a row before I can proceed with the rest (laughs) of the album. But again, that bridge, like I just like that is such like a, a stadium power ballad bridge that kind of builds up and it's just so visual and so dark and it's like lyrically maybe my favorite and sonically it just sounds so good and track five. It's always track five.
1: Amazing! Oh, it's a the great track, track fives. five. Yes, a, a whole <laughs> album of track fives, basically. Yeah, tears were to What an amazing song! And also, since we were talking before about her Springsteen fandom, if I'm on fire, you're in ashes too. Mm. <laughs> good. good one. Good one. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, this song is just amazing. Like Brittany says, a classic track five. Mirabah.
2: So, I mean, like. I kind of love how Cocteau Twins like dream pop. A lot of the album is, which I think was, you know, like once we kind of heard who the collaborators were, I wasn't totally expecting that kind of dream popness from it. And I just, I mean, I love Mirabal is just so her voice sounds so good and it's just so lovely. And yeah, that like August, like those like kind of dream poppy, you know, Heaven or Las Vegasy songs. I love.
1: That's really amazing. That's that's a fantastic reference point for those songs. I was thinking, you know, August for me is such a cranberry song, such a hmm. Mazzy Star song. Her whole sort of early afternoon set at Lilith Fair in nineteen ninety five, sort of vibe that hmm. she's always loved. But yeah, it, it's so perfectly realized in those songs. Mirabal is just such a heartbreaker, and also I always love when she sings about dancing. You know, as yeah, as she, as she once sang in one of her ballads, she's not much for dancing, but but. <laughs> I love when she has such an amazing way to capture the sort of the the angsty emotions that can beset you on a dance floor. And the song reminds me so much of new romantic, which is one of my favorites, but it's almost like it's the same dance floor and it's just the same scene from a different perspective instead of the, you know, club going poser who's crying tears of mascara in the bathroom. It's the mirror ball who's hanging above the dance floor and just watching everybody, taking everybody in, but also reflecting everybody and, and the sides of themselves that they won't show in a setting
2: like that.
0: Seven, which is just, I, I really think, an extraordinary song and, and so well written. And uh, again, like a really great bridge.
2: Such a great rhythm. I think that and Invisible String have like, just like really just fun kind of not very tailory rhythms to them. I just it's, yeah I love those like the little dreamier pop songs that she's doing on this album.
0: I really love the please picture me in the weeds before I learned civility. I used to scream ferociously anytime I wanted. It was a, like t- that that vision of Taylor at seven or, or the narrator at seven is really interesting and also kind of an interesting like the uh, feminist statement and, and just before like sort of uh, society and or that patriarchy tamed. What uh, tamed her is, is uh, uh, that really 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 stuck with me
2: and her kind yeah. of like letting like the kind of loss of the fairy tale childhood type of narrative from the early songs and kind of the you know peak sort of teen innocence that she's reflecting on in a lot of her lyrics about being a kid and about being a teen there's a little bit of that, that innocence there, but there's still kind of a slight darkness to a lot of it, which I love and a lot of maturity to it. Being able to write about kind of from a child's perspective and a very childlike perspective without being too corny or you know cloying is really beautifully done.
0: Well, yeah, I mean something dark is going on with the, at the friend's house that there's that whole under
1: undertow yeah. there. I probably Um, listened to that song 20 times before I noticed that the song is really about this lost friend mm -hmm. and just like what a sad song it was. I couldn't, it was too sad for me for a few days. Like it it took me a while to go back to it, but just such a a powerful sad song. Apologize for new waving out on you for a minute. But the parallels with Thomas Dolby's Europa and the pirate twins, I'll just leave that there. But in terms (laughs) of like two astoundingly sad songs about childhood friends who like to play pirates and then like, they grow up in different worlds, but just that she never finds out what happens to this friend. There's no circling back. Yeah. There's no, there's no resolution to this story. She never even figures out just this, this sad childhood feeling that follows her around. Yeah. Really just an astoundingly empathetic song. And, and also really like a complex one that just changes over, over time as you listen to it.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. This, this whole album had me like Hank Hill in that, that episode where he's like, uh, I think I'm feeling emotions. <laughs> 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 This song August, uh, which we touched on a bit, but August.
2: I mean, it's just like a perfect, everything that's like so, I don't know, just the melodies, where your voice sounds, like it's just so unlike, like these moments where it does feel like a completely new step forward for her as a mm. singer and as an artist, like something like that, where it's so restrained in a way. And she's always kind of a, a much more, extroverted kind of songwriter and performer even on her ballads. And so to kind of hear that type of like restraint on a song like this, that's also kind of just like such a dreamy, kind of sad, romantic, you know, ill-hated teen romance song. Uh, Cause that's from the, the love triangle trio, right? Yes. Like right. Betty, we haven't Cordigan touched on that in August, but yeah, it's just such a, a beautiful song.
1: Absolutely. That's another one that I probably listened to it 20 times before I realized, Oh, when she's telling the guy to get in the car, it's the narrator, Betty, who she's saying that to. She is, mm-hmm. you know, the other woman in Betty. But, you know, but these are songs that are designed to still keep giving up surprises after dozens of listens, which honestly, that's the way she's always written songs. Her songs are always full of surprises that take years of heavy listening to reveal themselves. But uh, such a clever thing because August seems so sad and you're so sad for the narrator of this song. And then... You put it in the perspective of Betty, and it's like, oh, there's a third person whose heart is getting broken along the way. Yeah.
0: And we touched on This Is Me Trying. I think, Brittany, at one point you said that was your favorite song on the album, but you've also said another song is your favorite song. But that's okay. That's okay. That's <laughs> okay.
2: I think This Is Me Trying has become the song of the last two days that I have not been able to turn off. But I will say that every time I try to play, my tears ricochet, I literally like cannot make it through the rest of the album (laughs) (laughs) needing to spend like a good hour just laying there, soaking it in.
1: Yeah. Thinking about that wake line. The wake line. (sighs) Yes. Amazing.
2: But this is me trying is it feels like the most. Yeah. I I mean, just like all the lines on there are just so cutting and so good. And the line about like regretting some of her words and kind of how how sharp they've been. Like, I think that's like there's just so much stuff on there that feels like a little bit more of the more personal side and kind of reflective of, you know, here I am at 30 looking back and out of the and more so looking at like Taylor as the character. But yeah, I just yeah. I, I love that song.
1: Totally. Definitely my vote for funniest punchline on the album is I have a lot of regrets about that.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: oh so good. It's on the level of in holy ground when she says And that was the first day. (laughs) That's sort of like, yeah, I know you're saying like, yes, this is totally me at the moment. I get that, this is very totally me. Uh, That song destroys me. For me, the album, once it gets to track eight and we get all in a row, August, this is me trying, Mm -hmm. and the extremely underrated, in my opinion, illicit affairs. Uh, But that's almost to me like, you know, a triptych of like one long song for like 12 minutes. And this is me trying is just such a heartbreaking, I love the, the line that you mentioned earlier, Brian, I got wasted like all my potential. Mm-hmm. It's funny because it almost it echoes one of the most fun Boppy songs on Lover when she's the moon was high like your friends the night right. we met, and this is like a very similar kind of pun, but the opposite perspective emotionally. It's like I got wasted like all my potential. Just <laughs> astoundingly great song. Uh, and Alyssa Affairs
0: under Yeah, I guess I guess some people have have uh, in passing
1: slapped at that song slightly the silence uh, is deafening on yeah, that song yeah. but, like, <laughs> but, th- but this mouse will roar brian this song is is i think it's it's a real 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 deep like deep hitting song and it sounds like you know she sings about love triangles a lot this song in many ways it, it recalls like getaway car and other songs like that but yeah. but just the level of sort of like 30 something on with like yep beautiful things begin in rooms and end in parking lots what a line!
2: A dwindling mercurial high.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> don't <laughs> ca- don't call me kid, Rob. Don't ca- <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And and a song that it's already built up such in, like intense emotional momentum, and then like we get to the climax, like oh, and by the way, and then that gigantic like, don't call me kid, don't call me baby. Look at this godforsaken mess that you made me. It's like there's actual there's there's a little bit of evidence that there might have been a bit of godforsaken mess there before, yeah. but the whole level of just the way the song stands on its own as a narrative and how complex it is, and also the way it fits into the songs that it's just come after. It's really just, it's one of my favorites. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: On Invisible String, it really got me when she sang time, wondrous time for some reason.
2: I have personally decided that the song is about Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham and their invisible string tying them together.
0: Wow. Okay. Yes, that's my yes, theory yes.
2: that no so, one else has. So, 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 <laughs> oh
0: so, my so. God! That's genius. I am so on board with this. So Lindsey Buckingham was listening to Bad Blood in the camp. the cab. Yeah. In, yeah, of in a way he was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and the, the Amer- way he was. <laughs> and did
2: worry about the specifics. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, Steve, and Stevie and of course Stevie Nicks would have been told she looked like an American singer.
1: So that that that. Oh my yeah. God! Yes. I mean, what, what, what is rumors if not band aids? Don't <laughs> hit bullet holes. It, uh, it does mention chain. So exactly. They're <laughs> they totally you know. wearing a teal t-shirt in the yogurt shop. Time, mystical
2: time, is there a more Stevie line than that?
1: Right. Oh, you are so <laughs> right. You are
0: so absolutely <laughs> right. This
2: is, I'm sticking with this. <laughs>
0: everyone loves i think now i send their babies presents but it's just so i know. You know it's true you know it's a hundred
1: percent true That's... well and as you was the first to notice <laughs> a, a very cleverly timed line in yes. terms of the taylor x timeline
2: yeah an ex who got three albums worth of songs <laughs> i will never forget at least one song across three different albums which is pretty pretty amazing
0: Yes, yeah, Sophie Turner got in the mail uh, for her baby a cassette version of folklore.
1: It's really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sophie <man>. Turner
2: <laughs> has the <licks>. lakes.
1: <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> Unbelievable. The level of guile, it is awe inspiring.
2: Yeah. I mean, that verse is so good.
0: Mad Woman uh, has one of the most uh, most kind of misunderstood lyrics on the, on the album in the first verse.
2: Whose long does she smile what does she mouth?
0: It's a lot more subtle and clever than it it could have been. It seems to be back to, it's probably, I don't know, it's at least partly perhaps about the whole Scooter Braun thing, but I could be wrong.
2: There's so much spookiness across the entire album. Like there is kind of like this, you know, people were comparing the the artwork to that film, The Witch from a few years back, like this kind of like, Mm. kind of, spooky witchiness to the entire album mad woman and kind of the the theme of madness that you know, kind of peppers all of the songs and especially the this being the reverse of a song like the last american dynasty where she's kind of like talking about this woman who's seen as very mad in in the town and um kind of what she's going through but there is this kind of like very stirring witchiness to to every song and mad woman being the most kind of witchy you know, she's casting a spell at like 3 a.m. in the middle of the woods.
0: Someone out there got very nervous when probably when she got to the line about the master of spin has a couple of side flings. Whoa.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's sort of like the song tells you what she's going to do, and then she does it. And women like hunting witches, too, is a, a great line for me. Yeah, And Epiphany is, is very bold. Uh, there's this You know, it's... it's it, it, it's a quick verse but it's it's one of the 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 most direct uh ways in which anyone has has addressed uh our our current moment uh and it's hard for me to listen to um just about uh you know uh, something med school did not cover uh that verse is intense and then it it combines that with her grandfather's experience in the military so there's a lot going on it's it's another wild step forward of of a song i would say
2: yeah and I think we've spoken about this in in a past Taylor episode, but she loves a battle. She loves a a battle. And I think for her to kind of take the battle from outside of her personal life and kind of put it into this perspective, I think it's just so beautifully well done. And another sign of this kind of like, you know, emotional lyrical maturity over so many albums, but she, she does love battle imagery. And I think for her to kind of find a way to, like you said, speak to this current time and speak about her grandfather, things like that, like, to put that in this perspective, I think was such a, a bold and great move for her.
0: And Betty, which uh, I guess they're actually working to country radio, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine working there. And and it's part of this, this saga, uh, this multi-song, multi-perspective saga about a, uh, like a high school
1: love affair. Eddie is so, so, so good. Mm-hmm. Fantastic song. And, and again, it's really complex and tricky, even before you factor into its place, like on the, the, other songs on the album that tell pieces of the same story. Um, I love, I think this is the first time that she's sung explicitly from the perspective of a boy in a Taylor Swift song, which means that mm-hmm. she does a lot of apologizing. You can tell he's throwing <laughs> pebbles in at her window and you can also tell it, it, it's outside in the rain when he's standing at her doorway. But like, yeah, completely like phenomenal song and a way that she takes a very different approach to the kind of story that she just loves. <laughs> I truly love
0: the opening of Betty. I won't make assumptions about why you switched your homeroom. It's just so,
1: so good. Yeah. Very Craig Finn sounding line. Yes. A lot of of the hold steady on this album, but Betty is such a like perfect hold steady song. I think it's up there with getaway car as like the most most hold steady-ish moments, but, but just that, that great opening line, you know, the middle of the conversation, just, you know, Eddie, I, you know, I, I, yes, I think that's why you change your home Just absolutely great opening line.
0: God, you know what? What that just reminded me of is, is this. Uh, you know, like Chuck Berry was writing, high school, writing about high school experiences when he was 35, and he said something like, "I'm 35, but I remember." As as Bernie pointed out, and a lot of people pointed out that to have her returning to this subject matter with the maturity of her adulthood is uh is very pleasing and very effective and and very very surprising.
1: And she's always loved time travel. She always even when she was very young, she loved writing songs about old people. You know right. Think of like Mary's song or You Are in Love or even a song like Never Grow Up where she's singing, she knows how painful it is for the mom when the teenage girl says, Drop me off a couple blocks from the party. Uh, <laughs> she's always had this sort of cross-generational empathy Mm. and that's really like coming out in her songwriting now. So on this album, there are songs about very old people. There are songs about, you know, little kids. There are songs about teenagers. Uh, That aspect of her storytelling is just like expanding all the time.
0: So what you're saying is that in Taylor Swift's folklore, she captures the entirety of the human experience. (laughs) Yeah. I could not have put it better myself. (laughs) Oh, So we're we're almost done. Uh, Peace.
2: Yeah, I love this entire song would it be enough if i can never give you peace is such a beautifully romantic line and such a taylor line so it reminds me so much of false god from lover just in the way that it flows but another another underrated gem from the album i feel like i'm not i'm not seeing people talk about peace a lot this song always gets me i think especially that like would it be enough if i never gave you peace always Gets me choked up
1: absolutely, and Brittany, because I'm still like reeling from your genius theory about invisible strings, <laughs> is, is this another Stevie and Lindsay song?
2: <laughs> I mean, it could be this entire album is just about Stevie and Lindsay if you <laughs> try hard enough and
1: absolutely have but like
2: brainworms like me, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, this could be her Silver Springs, you know? Yeah. Like. Would it be enough if I could never give you peace, never and break the chain?
0: I said I think before we started that I was kind of hoping that Hoax was was taking on uh, conspiracy theories, but uh, but it it turns out to not do that, but is uh, still uh, uh, pretty pretty great, although not the real ending of the album, as uh, as Rob has pointed out.
1: That's while the people haven't heard the lakes yet, the lakes is the seventeenth and final song on the album. And it's got the last song on the album, Energy, that she loves so much. You know, She loves a, a big bang end of a song, a very like thematic statement like New Year's Day and Reputation or, or uh, Begin Again on Red. She, mm-hmm. All her albums have this, Clean on 1989, just you know, her, her last songs are like her track fives. And it's so funny to hear the album ending with Hoax, which doesn't really feel like the end of the album. The Lakes is much more of a summary story. She's going out to the English countryside with her muse, words she uses, and she's singing about Wordsworth. She actually names him. Kind of mind blowing for me and my teenage obsession with Wordsworth. I looked at the song title, The Lakes, and thought, wouldn't it be funny if this is a song about Wordsworth and Coleridge? Kind of like the same reaction I have when I saw the song title, New Romantics. And in (laughs) fact, she is singing about Wordsworth and Coleridge. Sorry, Van Morrison, you now have the second best rock and roll song about Wordsworth and Coleridge. the, the Lakes is such a peaceful song and, and it's, it's very much in the theme of, you know, that's come in the album of sort of stepping beyond how other people see you and seeing what you mean to yourself and what about your story matters to yourself and what you'll take with you going into the future. Yeah. But a beautiful song very much feels to me like the real end of the album. Mm. And
0: uh, basically only Rob Taylor and Sophie Turner's baby have heard it so far. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, it's this a great an album
1: ongoing yes this an <laughs> ongoing I love every song story.
2: I don't know I'll have a new favorite tomorrow I'll have a new Stevie and Lindsay theory probably in the next hour
1: <laughs> I can't wait yes th- th- this is definitely like it's full of stuff you know like this is somebody who like quarantine she had a lot of time to like spend inside herself and just sort of like ramble in her mind and so there's a lot of this album holds up to a lot of heavy listening and unpacking so far mm-hmm. and there's months and years of it left to come
0: yeah it honestly already makes me want to hear what comes next personally absolutely same so you have been listening to rolling stone music now i'm brian hyatt i was joined by the great Bernie spanos and the great rob sheffield and we will be back next week here on SiriusXM xm volume channel 106 and in the meantime we are in fact a podcast download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes if you can. We do check those out. But as always, thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we will see you next week behind the mall.